like I'd severed my contract basically and said, okay, I'm leaving. I'm moving to Bangladesh. They had no, they were, as far as like they were concerned, I was like not an employee at all. But I was like, I'm just going to make these. And then I'm going to say, look what I made. And usually when you put something in front of someone that's done and finished and there and good, you, you find they're hard pressed to say no, right? If, if I had told them, oh, I want to go to Uganda and make, you know, just some short kind of news stories. No way. The insurance, my God. You know, this is what news networks think about. They're like, how is this girl fucking crazy? Like, no, you're not going to Uganda. We're not, when we have, we want nothing to do with this. So I kind of went over there. I came back with something that I've made and I said, hey, I've been gone for a year and a half, but I've made these. And I'm happy to do some, you know, whatever shifts for you in the newsroom, if you like. And they were like, yeah, all right. And so they, they took them. They, they bought the, the stuff that I'd made. Um, and it was nominated for a young Walkley. So they hired me. Hi, I'm Dan Brophy. And this is Quit Your Day Job, a podcast for frustrated creatives. How do you turn what you love into what you do? Each episode, I'll be talking to my favorite creatives to discuss the tools and tricks associated with turning your passion into a career. Here at Quit Your Day Job, we believe that the pursuit of what you love is just a process and one that is available to anyone. So what are you waiting for? Your journey to feeling more connected to who you are and what you do starts now. Today I'm chatting with Jan Fran, journalist, commentator, writer, and host of the SBS nightly news show, The Feed. We have a practical chat about how to define and grow a personal brand. For many people, this concept is still a bit on the nose, but it interested me to talk to Jan about it because she's not a traditional influencer. She's a current affairs journalist, yet she still needs to think about how to represent her work and elements of her personal life and process via social media in order to define her personal brand so as best to reach her target audience. We talk about how she got her start and, and the importance of not waiting for someone to give you an opportunity to do the thing that you love, which for Jan meant moving to Uganda and shooting and producing her own documentary series. This conversation offers great insight for anyone looking to get into journalism or for any sort of self-authored media gig. It highlights the importance of creating opportunities for yourself, to be your own writer, director, producer or editor, and not waiting for permission in order to do the thing that you really believe in. Before we get to the good stuff, I want to ask you if you would mind sharing this podcast with someone who you think may enjoy it or who may benefit from hearing it. You can send an episode link in a text message or a Facebook message, or you can screen capture a point in the podcast that resonates with you and post it to your Instagram live story, tagging Dan Brophy and leaving a word or two about exactly what you found inspiring. I will then repost, tagging you right back and sharing your inspiration. Or you can do things the old fashioned way by rating it and writing a short review in iTunes. It all helps to grow our creative community and to continue to empower creatives 
to get their life. And now, here's my conversation with the brilliant Jan Fran in an episode that I like to call Don't Ask for Permission to Do What You Love. I wonder if we should give the context as to where we are. Mm. In glamorous, well, we're, right now we're in glamorous Bundina. Well, it's not, not so glamorous, but we have... Are you kidding me? It's r- beautiful. Well, I think it's become beautiful, but I don't think it was maybe this. Well, the, the house that we're in is our share beach house. I'm here with Jan Fran. Hi. And this is a collective space that eight people, four couples in a sense, have shared. It's like a share house, but it's a share holiday house. Yeah. It's that, a share beach house. That we're doing as a bit of an experiment. So we happen to be down here and I couldn't resist having a chat to Jan. And I do love to ask people at the beginning of every conversation, when someone says, what do you do? What do you tell them? I usually say I host a show called The Feed on SBS Viceland. And then the first thing they say is either they say, oh, so are you on TV? And then the next thing they say is, yeah, I don't, I don't watch TV. Because <laughs> I think they're sort of, when I tell them that that's what I do, I think if they don't automatically know it, I think they feel quite embarrassed that they don't know it. So they have to justify why they don't know it. So they're like, oh, I don't have a TV or I don't get SBS or I don't. You know, whatever excuse it is. Because once upon a time, being on TV meant that everyone knows you. But now being on TV is like a cute niche little thing that only some people get to, to find out about. Yeah, or some people choose to find out about. I was at um, Meredith, actually, like last year. And I was waiting in line for the toilet, which is highly glamorous. And someone was standing behind me and they're like, excuse me. And I thought that they were going to say, oh, are you Jan from The Feed? And she said, she said, do you make content for the internet <laughs> perfect and i was like why yes i do i do make content for the internet so i think when i say that yeah people sometimes are like i'm not sure what that is because having a show on tv that then is the point first point of call or the framing through which to experience online content is mm. the same as i know i was talking about grazia magazine now exists as maybe a, a monthly or I think it's a monthly hard copy magazine that I'm sure runs at a loss to then just be, to give you the framework through which to experience their digital offering, mm. which is, I think, the main business that they do. Mm. But they still think the importance, they still recognize the importance of having a magazine as a prestige element. Mm. What is the, fe- if, given that the feed is a millennial targeted news and current affairs show, mm. would it ever work if it only existed in a digital space and not on SBS? Is it important that it has a show? Um, I think like what you were saying, kind of prestige is probably not the right word in this particular context, but there's something about being on TV that people kind of um, understand and register with quite easily because, you know, we've had television for 50 years or whatever it is and people kind of know what that means for somebody to be on TV. You're in a studio, you've got makeup, you address the camera, there might be a studio audience, that kind of thing. Um, So I think it automatically gives people a bit of a framework as to who we are. And I think if we didn't have that, um, we could very easily just exist online, but we would have to kind of think of a different way to position ourselves. You know what I mean? Um... So yeah, I think I think we've we've managed to find a way and it's really hard to find a way to be both a TV show and an an online thing at the same time. 
I think lots of um, TV shows, particularly news and current affairs TV shows, um, and the news and, you know, all of those sorts of programs, having a really hard time because they have to exist in these two places. And I think because we're young and we're really flexible and we're really new, like we've only been around for five years comparatively, and our audience is really flexible and always, you know, willing to change and wanting to change and wanting new things. I think it's been relatively easy for us to kind of exist in the online space as well. So when it came about five years ago, was it to fill a space that you felt... Well, explain what the feed is for those that don't know. When someone says, what you do, what do you yeah. do? And you say, I've got on a TV show, and they say, I've never seen it before. How do you explain what the feed is? It's kind of like a nightly half-hour news, current affairs, satire, commentary TV show on SBS. That's the best way of describing it because it, I, I sometimes try and think, okay, what's it similar to? And I'm like, oh, it's kind of got like a tiny element of the project mixed with four corners, mixed with, you know, um, the daily show in, in some sense or some kind of comedy show. So it's sort of like a melange of everything. Um, and it started because SBS started a new secondary channel, SBS2, which was going to attract a younger demographic. Basically, everybody who watches SBS one is going to die of natural causes in 20 to 30 years. Okay. This is a fact. I did not make this up. Um, it's got a very kind of older audience. I think they wanted to attract new audiences on the new channel. And they were like, okay, well, we need a kind of flagship news and current affairs show on that channel to do that. So that's why it came about. It felt like that was also, I don't know if, if it's happened at the same time as you guys have existed, but I feel like news and current affairs is cool now in a way mm. that it wasn't that cool 10 years ago. I can't think of many people that were doing news and current affairs targeted at young people mm. in the same way 10 years ago. I definitely feel like we're talking about politics and social issues and culture a lot more now than what we were 10 years ago. And I'm kind of glad you said that because I sort of, I've kind of feel that way too. Like news and current affairs has just become a, a thing that people kind of talk about now. Um, Do you think that's also gone hand in hand with social media? Yeah. Yeah. I want to say, yeah. Social media and then in tandem with the world falling apart. Sure. <laughs> and people needing to understand how they let that happen. Yeah. Well, I think the big thing was like Trump a year ago getting elected. I found in the last like 26, uh, 2017 was just a year where it was just like information central, hot take city. Like everyone wanted to read up on what was going on and, you know, anything Trump would just go off the charts in terms of like engagement and reach. Um, so I think there was like a real hunger to kind of exactly make sense of what the fuck had just happened, right? Because no one thought it was going to happen. Um, and I think that that momentum's kind of continued from when he was elected. So many exciting things will come out of this time that we don't really understand just mm. yet. But I have a feeling that... Once upon a time, we were talking about, you and I were talking about last night, about the <clears throat> savviness of millennial consumers. It's really hard to pull the wool over their eyes. And if, a, you know, authenticity rates so highly as, even as everyone from musicians and how they're positioning themselves, mm -hmm. and it's a bid to outreal one another. So if you're presenting news from the Vice perspective, your audience expects a level of authenticity so that you know, you gave the example of it's very hard for anyone to do a sponsored post these days without being 
put, you know, dragged over the coals for it because mm. you feel like you're going against your brand if you are seen to be selling out in any way, which I think is actually great because 10 years ago, it was, it almost felt like my most cynical and media savvy friends would always have a problem with that sort of ideal, but everyone else just seemed to not pay attention to it or mind that much. Yeah. And now it seems like everyone's sort of got an opinion about, you know, um, cash for comment or yeah. brands who are, you know, trying to be seen as favorably because they're buddying up with a cool brand that we've otherwise yeah. you know, liked. I mean, I think that's, that on on the one hand that's a good thing but it's not so great when you're trying to make content and also make money right so if you, i would love to ask you about that because yeah. you know this vice land the feed it's stuck in a difficult place between trying to be authentic and real and yeah. present information that doesn't seem like it's part of the corporate machine but at the same time needs to exist in you know in a space where it makes money yeah. and turns a profit What's that look like now? So it's just, it's a st- strange kind of place to be in. Like our show is because our show was there before. So for those who who don't know um, what I'm talking about, SBS Two became SBS Viceland. I think it was two years ago. So that was a deal with Vice International because they are looking to expand in different markets and looking to expand through television channels. So they look for local TV channels in different countries to partner with and SBS2 um, seemed like a relatively good bet to partner with, so they did. So it became SBS Viceland. Now, because we existed prior to that deal, we remained on the network, but we're still entirely part of SBS. So the way we're funded is we're funded through SBS and we're funded as a TV show. So we still have to kind of justify our existence on television as well, because that's what we are, we're a TV show. yeah, so we, we don't and, – um, and obviously SBS is part government-funded but also part commercial. Um, so that's kind of where the money comes from. And we've never – as our show, we've never really had any kind of – like I'm not allowed to do sponsored posts or team up with brands or, you know, like I got a request the other day to, to do this thing that was a kind of a branded spot for another organisation and it was going to be, you know um, – Three, three or four hours and there was going to be all this money involved, but it was essentially an ad. And I can't do it because I think when you work for the public broadcaster, you can't, you, you, actually, you actually cannot be seen or you can't be um, promoting products or promoting services or anything like that. Yeah. Oh, sorry, there's a, a dog at the door <laughs> trying to get in. Oh, is that? <laughs> what is it? Let him in. <laughs> Hi, Marchie. What do you think about the future of content? <laughs> He's enthused by the side of that tale. Yeah, but I think if you were a purely like online, you know, or social kind of enterprise, no, that's the wrong word. Social enterprise means something completely different. But if you're making content for Facebook, like you need to get money from somewhere. Mm. And it ain't going to be your Facebook viewers who give you the money because we're so used to just getting content on demand and for free that we're like, why would I give my money to somebody making content when I can get it for free. So if I, I certainly don't blame people for teaming up with like brands and ads and doing sponsored content. But I think because there's such a high drive for authenticity online and on social media, you've got to be very clever about the way that you do it. And you're constantly having to innovate. All right, well, how do I get this brand involved in what I'm doing in the best way possible that's mm. not going to damage my brand? It's so funny that the, the hunger for authenticity has come up at a time when now more than ever we only receive things because someone's someone's advertising alongside them. Mm. So therefore, 
I don't know whether it's in response to that or whether it would have been there anyway. But once upon a time, when Lady Gaga started putting vodka bottles into basically paid, when music videos started becoming paid promotional tools, tools, there was a moment of backlash. And then after a while, we forgot that we ever minded and we're just like, hey, this video looks cool. Just dance. And (laughs) now, and then that that became the way. Yeah, don't worry about rampant capitalism, part A. Yeah. Yeah. But also it's like, well, it's a music video. Ultimately, we don't really feel like it's muddying the waters too much. Mm. The whole thing is advertising at the end of the day. So people didn't seem to mind too much. Content now seems to be something that we are like authenticity rates so highly it seems as to how we um, in our system of values as individuals and as our brands want to appear and you know the amount of pop stars who have failed with major album releases in the last year because it doesn't feel like for no other reason than it doesn't feel authentic mm. in the way that their previous couple of albums have done really well because we weren't we weren't as scrutinized we didn't scrutinize authenticity in the same way yeah and it's so funny to think that like a gigantic machine that produces a product like a pop album is expected to be authentic whereas it never actually was yeah and it's still not no it never was it rarely will be because that 40 people will work on that album that's presented as being a solo you know solo person's Idea and every, and there are like a, a thousand people have a thousand meetings about that. Totally. You know, Nirvana had a PR team. Like, right? You know, there's oh no, no. don't like, tell me that. No, I mean, at the end of the day, like, there's an entire team of people sitting around a, a boardroom meeting discussing release dates and how albums look and yeah, you know, what merchandise course, yeah. looks like and you know how the music video is going to look. Yeah. It's funny that like we're so um, kind of driven by this need for authenticity when some of the mediums are just the complete antithesis of authentic, like Instagram, for example, you know, you look at Instagram and you're like, there's a thousand filters, you're taking photos of you, you know, uh, having a great life and being on the beach and eating breakfast. And like, we just took a photo of ourselves wearing leopard print in a tree, Dan, you know what I mean? Hey, I would have been in that tree wearing leopard print anyway. (laughs) You may as well just put a frame around it. Now that's that one hundred percent for me. The biggest I was my Instagram account was private for a long time, mm. and then I was very slow to work out how I wanted to use it as a form of self-expression because I initially thought I can only do it if it is the truest version of myself and my feelings for that day, mm. and therefore I just then and then that led me down a path of experimentation, which then has brought me to a place where I think. No, no, it's not that anymore. I don't know whether Instagram's changed or just my mindset has changed, but I recognise that it, it's a magazine. Like it's, mm, an, it's an art. Mm, yeah. It's, a, it's an, a curated magazine experience where I'm telling a story based around some specific part of my process, and I also don't feel pressured to be authentically my. This is my whole life on social media anymore because I think, well, if you want my life, then you can enjoy me in real life like IRL yeah and if you want my art project then you'll go to social media for that yeah but you don't need to experience my heart and soul you know warts well and you don't need to give it way. to anybody that you don't want to exactly. give that to you know what I mean no. I think looking at it as a magazine is like yeah is a really kind of great way to look at it and I've always had a love-hate relationship with Instagram and I, I have this rule with Instagram that if I have to think about the caption for more than like 30 seconds it's out mm. because then you're trying too hard. You know what I mean? You're trying too hard. It's not, it's just, it, it doesn't feel real. It feels like you've kind of just created this thing. 
Um, and I, t- it's, I, it's also a pictorial medium. So like your captions should give context to what is ultimately a pictorial creation. Yeah. Well, yeah. My, my stuff is like probably part, it's probably more caption based. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's more caption based than it is <laughs> image based, but yeah, I've kind of just come to understand it as like, okay, this is, this is the, my public persona. And it's not really that different. I would say it's like 95% the same as my private persona because otherwise I'm going to be trying too hard and I do not want to try. Like I cannot be bothered. I don't want to add another level of work Mm. to my life where I have to like try. You know what I mean? Once it just gets too hard, I'm out. But there is that element of my life and my privacy that no, not everybody. I don't want everybody. It's not that I don't want everybody to know. It's just that like, you're not that close to me. There are some things that only people who are close to me, A, care about, B, should or could or would know. You know what I mean? I think everybody's kind of got that as well. Like the whole world is not your family. Like my family is my family. My friends are my friends, you know? I also think that by putting a frame around, by getting very specific, by compartmentalizing the part of my process that I wanted to put a frame around through social media, it then frees me up to not feel obliged to be trying to capture everything because mm. now for example when, yeah, I'm, exactly. when I'm doing work that I really believe in that is what I choose to share and for times with my partner times with my dog times with my you know everything like for all the other parts of life I don't feel obliged to capture it but the only downside is I don't have photos of much of life outside of you well know, I mean you can capture person. it you just don't have to post it <laughs> I just but, I'm, but I become very like detached from the from wanting to pick up my phone because uh, I'm like yeah. no no I'm in the moment I don't care about uh, yeah, putting a frame yeah, around it I'm yeah. just going to try and live it but then at the same time what with my memory being what it is I if it wasn't for yeah. Instagram I'm flicking back through old photos I probably <laughs> would never even recall it happened but I, yeah. that's an interesting idea the idea of the personal brand which seems to have become a, a buzz term only over the last couple of years you were talking to me recently about having a stream of your own output that sits alongside the work that you do for the feed. Mm. And so what would you like the Jan Fran content offering brand to be based around? Yeah. To be the building, what are the building blocks of the story that you're telling as a solo entity? I think when people think of me, I'd like them to think of, I basically want them to walk away from the stuff that I produce being a little bit more informed and a little bit more entertained. And they're those the kind of simple cliches that have existed throughout all of kind of television and particularly like news and current affairs. The aim is to inform and to entertain and being kind of being more in an online space. It's, it's really interesting because there's no rules as to how you can do that, right? Like television or television news there's a very structured formula, you know, it's this, it's that, it's the voice, it's the piece to camera, it's the grab, it's the grab, it's the rap, you know? Mm. Um, whereas because you're in this space, it's like, well, this has never really happened before. We've only kind of been on Facebook proper as a news organization for five years or something to that effect. So it's like, well, you can kind of do anything. Um, but I, I sort of, I, I try really hard and it's, it's hard because, Simple things travel well online and life is not simple and politics is not simple and social issues are not simple. 
you know, things are complicated. And so my challenge is, okay, how do I take all of these complicated things that are happening and condense them down to three minutes, you know, while also throwing a bit of humor in there? So you, you create something that you've called the Frant? The Frant. The, and the Frant, <laughs> what is the Frant? So it's a, it's basically an editorial it's a video editorial um, with my particular tone and take on issues of the day or the week. That's what it is. So it's Fran's rant. It's Fran's rant. And it's three minutes mm-hmm. or so. It's Fran's rant. It's three minutes. And yeah. you'll break down something that you're thinking a lot about or that is particularly topical and turn it into a, a nice, palatable, easy to consume version of telling of that story. Yeah. It's generally, it's, it's a piece to camera with the graphics, with graphics supporting it. Yeah, then, um, that people most people would interact with via Facebook. Yeah, right? so what it is visually, and and I kind of we d- I deliberately sort of devised this strategy last year um, because I noticed that my stuff wasn't traveling as well online. I'm thinking, why is that? Like the writing's fine, the images are funny, the edit is quick and sharp. You know what is what is actually missing here? And I realized that you need to really simplify the visuals online things have to be clean they have to be very simple um and so it's a white background it's a it's a p it's me to camera um on a white background and i i'll write the script or i'll write the editorial in the morning and i'll shoot it to camera it's actually on a green screen but we kind of put the white background on the top and as i'm talking it it cuts um there's different cuts and different frame sizes and graphics that pop up and um um, cartoons and what's the word I'm looking for? Um, when you animations, that kind of thing. Um, uh, they all look the same. They all have a uniform look. They're all called the Frant with like a topic of the day that that's going to be about. Um, and so I, that's kind of what I want people to know me for, you know, and I want people to watch them and to feel like they've learned something, even if they don't disagree. Um, even if they don't agree, sorry, I'm not here to, you know, like impose my view on anyone. I'm just here to say, this is kind of my analysis of the situation. Tell me what you think. And I'm, I love getting feedback. I really love it. And I get heaps of feedback on the stuff that I do from people just DMing me or just leaving messages, um, on my Facebook page or even in the comment section. Hmm. Um, and I really like that. I, for me, it was very, whenever I've enjoyed a friend, it's because my awareness around so many topical issues is so poor that having a nice bite size, you know, 101 about certain mm. key issues is really great because oftentimes the news noise can feel so overwhelming that my inclination is just to switch off and I don't consume news for entertainment. I'll just consume it to feel like I need to know a little bit of what's up. Mm. So it's a nice taste, tasty way to keep abreast of what's going on and also in the same way that perfect that's the front a tasty way to keep abreast of what's going on yes because if you (laughs) sometimes as well like you know you try and i try and engage with newspapers and it's good to know the tones of certain writers so that you can then base your opinion on well i I agree with so-and-so or Mm. i don't agree with so-and-so but i'll still like to see what they they, their take on certain circumstances are so similarly you know if people found your 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 format easy to consume but didn't necessarily always agree with you Mm -hmm. they can still gauge where they sit on the debate based on how how often they agree with you or not yeah i mean i try as much as possible and it's really fucking hard 
to come across as neutral online because it's so polarized. Like, also, you're calling it a France. You're not, not. You're not saying you know this is the news. You're saying yeah, this is yeah. this is this is my opinion. And yeah. I think in so many ways, news has become opinion anyway. But it's labelled as being news, so it's presented as neutral, neutral which yeah. is incorrect. Yeah, which is incorrect. I think, yeah. You know, I think most people, more, more people, should say this is my this is our biased. <laughs> you know, this is our biased opinion. Yeah, I think it's like the the best way to put it is like this is my biased opinion. But I'd like to think that I've considered things from many different angles. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's still my opinion. And as long as you're stating that from the outset, yeah. that's fine. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. But it's so, like, even sometimes when I do explainers, which I think explainers are probably the closest thing you'll get to neutral because it's just like, all right, this I'm just explaining now what's happening here. And... Without a shadow of a doubt, you know, someone will say, oh, you lefty this or, oh, you're going a bit right wing with this. I didn't know you were, you know, a quiet neocon. You just say, oh, my goodness (laughs) gracious. You know what I mean? Because the discussion is just so polarized Mm. and people I find and even as both as media makers and as media consumers, we feel like we have to place ourselves somewhere. Like, I'm in this camp or I'm in this camp. And if I'm in this camp, then I don't agree with what's being said by anyone in this camp. And I think we've got to break that. Mm. I really think we've got to break that. And I try really hard to break that. And sometimes sometimes I think I do a good job and sometimes I think I don't do as good, as good a job as what I could do. But that's my aim. Like, But, but I feel like it's, 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 we are so led down that path of taking sides to the point of even thinking... Who is the author that you're talking about who wrote 12 Steps to a Good Life? Or All oh, right. So it's a guy called Jordan Peterson. So you, yeah. you're talking about him and saying, you know, oh, I, some of the ideas he presents are actually not totally crazy. There mm. are some good f- philosophies there with some controversial, you know, mm. backing. And it's like, and I was thinking to myself, well, that makes sense because he is not one-dimensional as a human yeah, being. Yeah, of course. He would have some merit to some of the ideas he presents and you know oftentimes usually how it works there are there are some great ideas wrapped up in some terrible ideas and vice versa mm. and the the taducken of ideas yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that's that's kind of what i was saying before like the online space is so reductionist mm. you know um and simple travels well so when you have these complicated ideas and when you have complicated people you know, kind of stands shouting from the rooftop that, oh, someone's complicated and in this video you might have to decipher the nuanced information for yourself. That's not a headline that's going to travel very far. You know what I mean? It's got to be, this person, you know, destroys this person or this person is a right-wing this or this person is a, you know, a loony lefty or whatever it is. And that's kind of what travels much better than any kind of, like, nuance on the internet. Because they probably recognise very early on that whether you are a, you know, vehement righty or a loony lefty yourself, you're going to pick up that paper because you want to know, like, yeah. who's on your team or who's against yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that, like, I mean, that's always sort of been the case, even in newspapers. Like, you know which newspapers cause the more st- the more outrage because they use the, mo- the most reductionist, you know, sensationalist language. But I think it seems to be magnified online. Mm. And it's 24 hours. And also, I mean, I work... my. I work in the health and wellness content making space for, for so much of my work. And it's amazing that the buzzfeedification of b- mm. branding ideas, even in a wellness space, 
it's always I mean now I can't make content for anyone that's not framed like three things you must know right. about before you burst into flames like it's very <laughs> <laughs> it's there's always urgency and immediate like you know immediacy urgency yeah. and, re and reductive, reduction. reduction because yeah. it has to be the, dis the distillation of ideas and a sense of if you don't look at this now it could be too late yeah which you know on the one hand is fine and on the other hand it's like well we can't just be getting this. this 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 can't just be it like we have to we have to be consuming this information with you know a bunch of other stuff like some long reads and some books maybe people the funny thing is i think that maybe just because it's like with everything else that life demands one of the first things to go was slow consumption of a few different things that, of anything of, any of food of books yeah of life of ideas of ideas just, anything i'm really looking forward to the reactionary perspective of the of a generation in the future that just thinks we're fucked mm. and that goes back to taking their time to consume things in a more you know sumptuous and detailed way i think it'll happen because it's sort of it's a it's a pendulum right like the pendulum swings this far across to the left and people go okay no, I can't live like this. We're taking some more time to do things, you know, and it swings back the other way and then I, it swings back the other I way. I went to a meeting on behalf of a client to make some content that would live on Facebook and I went to have a chat to them at Facebook HQ about what, uh, you know, how content could live in their space as best as possible and they were completely obsessed because they just walked out of a series of, meet, of workshops and meetings where someone from the States was extolling the virtues of one and a half second content and that everything had to be everything was going to be one and a half seconds all the good stuff that would float to the surface was going to be one and a half seconds from oh now God, on that's not even a gif i know it's basically it's not even a cinemagraph like it's you know but i was thinking of course you guys would say that because that means you can sell 20 times more like where there was once upon a time a 30 second ad now there's 20 ads in in its place mm -hmm. where you get to charge as much probably for you know, you get to just have more things taking up space, therefore, you know, much more money for you guys. Mm. So it kind of, I feel like we're always being coerced into situations based on the ulterior motives of, of like the people who are stand to make the most from it. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's like, we're the ones whose perspectives are being fried and ultimately they're just like, great, those fuckers are going to consume yeah. so much advertising. Yeah. We've got them. Yeah. Well, before we get, um, before we get too far into, you know, finding out where you're going next. I just want to get find out just for a bit of context where you've come from. Have you always worked at SBS? Did you come from a uni background that was in the, the journalism space? What's how did you end up being in this in this area? Well I did arts I grad when I graduated high school, I was really young. I was like sixteen when I started university. And I got into I didn't get into law. <gasps> What a disgrace. As a 16-year-old. I didn't get into law as a 16-year-old, if you can believe that. I got into an arts degree at Sydney Uni. And I think I flipped out a bit at Sydney Uni because I was so young and I'd come from a high school in the western suburbs where I knew everyone and, you know, caught the bus with my friend Lisa. And, you know, it was very comfortable and very familiar. And you go to this big university and there's just people from everywhere. Um, and I was never a particularly academic person. Like... I find that hard to believe oh. if you're released into the wild at 16 and expected and in the running to do law. I imagine that you'd have some tolerance for text. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a tolerance for text. But, like, I was looking back at my high school subjects the other day 
And I was like, a lot of these subjects are really just about how I feel about the world. Like drama, please. You know, it was like, take how you feel and turn it into something. I did like society and culture, which was like, what are your reflections on the world? You know what I mean? I realized like English yeah, but these are all, inc- in my mind, these the are all incredibly important. They are really important, but I just realised, I had because I hadn't done science since year 10. I didn't do science in the HSC. I did two unit maths, and that was the only subject that was, like, you know, mathematical. Token, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I always did quite well without really trying. I just didn't have the discipline for academia or, or being academic i didn't have the discipline well thank god though because it means you're oh. taking that big brain and you're using it for something that is you're using your powers for, for evil instead of good. <laughs> yeah exactly so, so when i got to Sydney uni and i was doing arts and i was just stunned that you didn't have to go to class but nobody forced you to nobody forced you to go to lectures which was amazing which meant i didn't go mm. because no one was forcing you it's like why would i go to lectures and of course you go to lectures because you have to pass to get a degree like peas get degrees honey i just i got 50.0 on one of my um subjects and that was when i was like all right i can't this is unsustainable i need i dropped out of that year and then went straight into journalism on on my hsc mark so basically scrapped that year and then did journalism and international studies at uts um which is the university of technology in sydney i did a double degree i did like um communications and international studies where you learn a language and you spend a year overseas um and i spent that year in france in 2007 and then i kind of started working at sbs just as like an online producer and the internet the internet the like online news was still kind of early-ish days back then you know this was like 10 years ago um i got the sbs cadetship the next year so i applied for the cadetship and i got it um then I started in, so that was 2009, 2010, I started working for um, a show called Living Black, which I'm not black, just, you can't see me, but I'm just describing my skin tone to you. It's a beautiful shade of olive. Um, but it was an um, Indigenous current affairs show and I was a VJ, so you, I was doing video journalism and I just travelled all over Australia into Indigenous communities all over the country and filmed all these stories with them and it was like, an amazing experience. I draw, I learned so much. I draw so much from that time. I met so many interesting people at that time. And I really got a glimpse into people and places that no other um, show or network could have afforded me those opportunities, right? Like I have been to so many communities around Australia that I, I, and I'm so grateful for that experience, you know? So that was 2010, 2000. 11, I moved to Bangladesh and lived in Bangladesh for a year. Um, sorry, I'm giving you just like a, oh, ra- a random timeline. Also, I've known you, you know, for a couple of years. I had no idea that all that any of this took place. So this yeah. is a great, you know, great little, little background of the origin story. Yeah. Of- so 2011, I was in Bangladesh um, working for UNICEF um, in Dhaka and also doing just some freelance filming. I went to Singapore and bought like, $10,000 worth of camera equipment from Singapore, as you do, and just started kind of filming news stories in Bangladesh. And then... And what, were you someone who loved 
the news growing up and thought yeah. that you would love to be? Because I've got friends who would read the paper cover to cover as seven-year-olds. There are people who love the news yeah. and really want to ma- and have been wanting to, to work in that space since they were little. Was that you? Yeah, that was me. We used to have a thing at, um, I tell this story frequently, but in class once, I think the teacher asked, okay, you know, what were some of the shows that you, that everybody watched last night? And everyone putting up their hand and they're saying what shows they watched last night. And it got to me and I was like, the news. And I just remember everybody in the classroom being like, the news? You watched the news? And even the teacher was like, the news, really? You know, and that was kind of like the first moment I had of like, oh, you guys don't watch the news? Like, not everybody loves the news. Um, but I always did. And I always kind of thought, oh, that looks fun and um, worthy and worthwhile and interesting and meaningful. And and, that's, and, it, and it's, a, it's a powerful position, you know. I'm not going to say that I... I'm not driven by power, but I, I, you know, it feels, yeah, it's, it's, it's like you feel good when you're in that position of like, oh, okay, you know, this, this means something. Um, so I've always kind of wanted to do that, which is why after working for UNICEF, I was like, all right, I'm just going to hang up my international development hat. Um, bought all the camera gear, started making um, just kind of really short news stories. And then after Bangladesh, I moved to Uganda because um, I, I was with a guy at the time who was kind of setting up a um, Bangladeshi NGO in Uganda. So that's the reason why I moved over to Uganda. And I was doing the same thing in Uganda, just like um, just basically making news stories. I didn't tell SBS. At this point, I was not working for SBS. I had no contract. I had left, like I'd cut, severed my contract basically and said, okay, I'm leaving, I'm moving to Bangladesh. They had no idea, as far as like, they were concerned, I was like not... An employee at all but I was like I'm just gonna make these and then I'm gonna say look what I made and usually when you put something in front of someone that's done and finished and there and good you you find they're hard-pressed to say no right if, if I had told them oh I want to go to Uganda and make you know just some short kind of news stories no way the insurance my god you know, this is what news networks think about. They're like, How, is this girl fucking crazy? Like, no, you're not going to Uganda. We're not, when we have, we want nothing to do with this. So I kind of went over there and I, I traveled alone around Uganda um, with my gear. I have, the, I have this, this story that I tell. I was in Gulu, which is like Joseph Coney's, <laughs> lol, Joseph Coney's home. T- that's another fucking story for another day. But Joseph, Joseph Coney's hometown. And there's like this, this Ugandan kind of like bushland. And I was traveling, I had hired a car and I was traveling with a driver who was also worked for this NGO who said, look, I can drive you around if you kind of pay me some money to be your driver. I'd be happy to do that. So I paid him money and he was my driver and we were driving. And it was, the sun was, it was probably about, about 5, 6 p.m. So it was, sun was almost going to set. We were driving through the bush and we got stranded in these kind of wet marshlands, right? And he's like, all right, um, I'm just going to go and find someone who can like help us get out of here. So I'm like, and I've got my like Nokia 3210 (laughs) with no reception. You know what I mean? And I was like, all right, no worries. And so I gave it about 10 minutes. I'm kind of sitting in the car by myself in the Northern Ugandan bushland. And I look up and I hear kind of rustling and coming towards me 
are three men with enormous machetes. And I'm by myself and I'm looking and I'm seeing three men with machetes walking towards me. And I think I'm in Northern Uganda. I'm in the bush. I don't have reception. There's three men with machetes walking towards me and the sun is fucking setting. And they got to the car and they were like, hello. And they just started hacking away at all the reeds that had kind of entrapped our car. And then they kind of lifted the car up and were like, well, there you go. And the driver came back, got in the car and we were like, thank you so much. And just drove off. On your way. <laughs> On our way. Always trust in the kindness of strangers with machetes. Exactly. Yeah. So it was kind of like that. Those three months that I lived there were sort of full of like just amazing experiences and near misses and near misses yes <laughs> yeah a lot of stories from old uganda it's a beautiful place as well can i spruik it on your podcast like because also so many people always have these wonders about places that, that they feel that they'd love to go and then the the internal you know news producer in them says yeah. no the insurance would be too high you know i can't don't go to that place it's so yeah. dangerous or don't do that thing it's so there's so many question marks around it but that's why sometimes it helps just to be no, a bit younger and a bit unaware of consequences. Yeah. In my mind, since I was a kid, it's always been final destination. I'm constantly just seeing, you know, my untimely demise played out from multiple camera angles and in the most, right. you know, tremendously poetic and outrageous way possible. Sure. So I can never do anything without going, this car could flip. No one knows where I am. Like I'm in a tuk-tuk on the side of a mountain. Like I could go over at any moment. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm just never able to just relax and enjoy the ride. Meanwhile, my sister, who's 10 years younger than me, is just like, yeah, let's take acid and swim to that rock in the distance. <laughs> so, like, which she did while I waited on the shore, like, fretting. So, you know, there's just so many instances where, yeah, my fear of what could happen prevents me from yeah. doing anything. But I think that that is, you know, not necessarily the way to live. I think you, gotta have, yeah, you have to have a healthy balance of both. You know, I would go to Uganda again now, to be honest. I'd probably do the same things that I did now because I've done it and I know that it can be done. Um, would I go to another place now where I wasn't particularly sure of what was going on there? And maybe not. Maybe I wouldn't take that risk. But also your uh, hunger for the unknown or to put a, you know, that journalistic intrigue, I'm sure, would drive mm. you to put yourself in situations that were completely unknown. Yeah. I imagine. I think you have to take risks. This is... You know, I listen to a lot of podcasts about people who are successful and the one thing that they all have in common is that they took risks. You have to take risks. Nothing happens if you don't take risks. Nothing. And the worst thing that could happen is nothing. You know what I mean? Like you, if you take a risk and it doesn't work out, actually it has worked out because you're one step away from nothing. Right? I think people, people kind of don't see it like that. They see it as, as kind of going backwards and it's not, you're not going backwards. No matter what you do, it's always a step forward, even if it's not what you think you're going to get, if that makes sense. So I think you, you have to, and I have this thing now where I, I, I say to myself, I want to do something uncomfortable at least once a week. If something is making me uncomfortable, that's a good feeling. I want to have that feeling and I want to like stare straight at it and walk straight through it. I want to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Just to finish this timeline story, between Uganda and and so did you come back with some something that you'd made and say hey this is what I did do you yep. want do you want to give me a job 
Exactly. I came back with something that I've made and I said, hey, I've been gone for a year and a half, but I've made these and I'm happy to do some, you know, whatever shifts for you in the newsroom if you like. And they were like, yeah, all right. And so they, they took them. They, they bought the, the stuff that I'd made um, and it was nominated for a young Walkley. <laughs> so they hired me. You know? I love that it takes someone else to celebrate it for them to go, yeah, yeah, that she's one of ours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So um, they hired me. That was in 2012. And in that time, I went to, um, I covered a cyclone in Fiji. I went to Nauru and covered the opening of the detention center. Then I started working for Dateline in 2013, produced two um, kind of short documentaries for Dateline. And then the feed started. And was, was the feed their uh, decision to speak to a millennial audience yeah. with a news and current affairs show that would also have an online component. Yeah. So we were talking about once upon a time, those stories were generating sometimes 300,000 views mm. on Facebook, the mm. feed, you know, one to We've three We've had minutes. stories that have had like 32 million views. Right. Yeah. What, what, what has really resonated? What's really hooked? They're usually either inspo. So something inspirational and simple, or they're funny. So they're like a satirical take on um, news of the day, or they're um, straight interviews with interesting people, um, or they're like editorial hot takes simply made about news of the day. They're the four ones I think that travel really well on and, our show. And have you noticed, who is your, can you, besides the notion of it being just a certain age group, millennials, do you speak to inner city kids, regional, 20-somethings? You know, do, can you pinpoint who a frenetic enthusiast is? Yes. They're usually, they're young, so they're about 24. Um, a lot of them are women or girls. What do you call 24-year-old? Yeah. Women, young, yeah, young, I guess, young, young, young women. Um, and they're either, um, they live in the suburbs and they go to university or they're doing some kind of like tertiary education or they've kind of moved out and maybe live in the city and are going to uni or have just started work. Yeah. AKA my kind of girl. No wonder it speaks to me directly. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that, they're, they're, they're my people. And anyone who knows you, who's a young girl, thinks you are amazing. Stop like, it. I feel like, I just feel like as far as you know, people you can look up to as a gal about town, just to see like, you know, that Jan Fran and what she's doing. Oh, I feel like, you know, I think it, like young girls just really, just get really a lot of energy from the work that you do. Really? Yeah. I think it's really I, inspiring. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. And I get a lot of, um, I get a lot of like, um, girls from high school who are doing projects on like feminism mm. or the media or, you know, public discourse kind of write to me and say, oh, can we interview you for this project? And I love getting those requests because I'm like, yes, like you are my people. These, this is this is kind of the, the, the group of people that, that I talk to. Mm. So that's, yeah, that's a very lovely thing to say. Oh, it's also very necessary. I think it's yeah. important to have heroes or people you look up I'm to. Not a, I, just... I'm definitely not a hero, Dan. No, but I think <laughs> it's good to... As have, much as I, you know, like to think of myself as a national hero, I'm not. <laughs> but even just, even just like touchstones, you know, like I think when you are coming up you just need to know that someone is not so far ahead of you that you mm. have no idea how to get there, but just a couple of steps ahead up the road to kind of go, yeah, like I can kind of see how I can steer my ship to go in a similar direction. Okay, mm. that makes sense to me. Now I know that I'm on the right path or I'm not going to, you know, end up stuck in some life or career situation that I don't know where I, how I got there. Yeah. When you 
we were having a chat recently about the the shifting of the Facebook algorithm, which then led from from the feed videos going from you know millions and millions and sometimes hundreds of thousands on average mm. to now you said some videos that would have gotten in the like easily three hundred thousand views mm. now get twenty five. Mm. Because for those that don't know, Facebook has recently changed their algorithm to prioritize what your family and friends are doing. So anything that, that they have posted or commented on will feature in your feed, your Facebook feed, much more highly than any News person. News or a page or Personal page or, stuff. Yeah. Which is kind of great in that hopefully will be served less corporate stuff. But then the flip side is if you've got kind of great little institutions that have been doing god's work like the feed then all of a sudden they're you know that they'll just never come up in your feed Mm. unless you go and seek them out specifically how do you think i mean there is no answer to what what the solution to that is but do you think that that will change the way the feed operates i mean it has to right the the good news is that we're an incredibly flexible show We've always been like that. We're so malleable. We're so flexible. We're so ready to change with whatever it is that we need to change with. And because our structures and our the way we produce things is not set in stone, we can vary it up easily. Um, it's we've always known that we're beholden to Facebook. Like any, if you're a media outlet anywhere in the world, you're beholden to Facebook. It's the place where. You get your readers where people come to you, especially, you know, things like newspapers and TV stations that are, whose, you know, um, viewers or subscribers or readers are dwindling, right? Um, we've always known that. Everyone's known that. And we're not unique by any means in terms of what's happening with Facebook right now. But the unfortunate reality is that you can't do anything about it like you have to use facebook as a media organization particularly as a media organization dedicated to millennials you have to use facebook um and they can change it up as they see fit whenever they want and that's going to affect you um how do you deal with that man that's that that's above my pay grade (laughs) that's above my public broadcasting pay grade dan you know what i mean because it's like i don't know no one does. That's the funny thing. No, yeah, no like one even does. like mega corporations that have the bucks to potentially benefit from shifts in the wind like this mm. are there going, you know, how do we mm. how do we stay in your face? Like how much money do we have to throw at this? And the funny thing about the way the new algorithm works is apparently in the way it currently is designed, no amount of money will make you top of the feed mm. the way the top of someone's personal Facebook news feed the way that it once did mm. because it's now they've decided to I wonder whether they they felt like in the with the the trumpiness of the world or potentially wanting to to be more prominent in China they have decided to get out of the news game because they felt like being a news platform as Facebook as a news platform is messy or something I think they copped a lot of shit after Trump won um just because of the the kind of news that was allowed to spread unchecked on their page and that's their whole argument their argument is we're not a media organization we're a platform and anyone from anywhere can post anything right and when it got to the point of well maybe what's being posted has swayed an election i mean i don't know if it has but that was the argument you know um then facebook felt that it played a much bigger role than just being this medium that didn't 
Because you can, because you can say that you know you can you can wash your hands of the notion that you are a news organization. Yeah. But at the same time, if no one, if there are a huge amount of consumers that just blindly think that what they're experiencing is the wider world mm. and not just like a, an, a algorithm designed to give them more of what they have already agreed to. Yeah. I mean, with great power comes great responsibility, doesn't it? So you can't just have great power and then wash your hands clean of the responsibility. Like they come hand in hand. And also Facebook is not an accident. The, you know, the, 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 the second or two second lag that you get when you refresh the feed is not an accident. Somebody has worked out that this particular minute time frame is exactly what the brain needs to stay hooked on the page, right? Ah, oh, yeah, you're looking at me like, what? Well, I'm just, thinking, there are about, I'm just thinking about that. Because also what, what, what they're replicating, I imagine, is the moment of anticipation that you get when you play the pokies. Yes, Exactly. It's that thing of it's the spinning die, the spinning wheels before exactly. they land on cherries and lemons. Yeah. That you actually need. They probably go. You need to have a moment of f- fear or apprehension in yeah. order to not know what's up next, in order to then be hooked to continue to place it again. Yeah, there are there are um, you know, I mean I don't know the exact number. I would say hundreds of people who would be employed at Facebook with the express purpose of working out how to make you continue to use the medium as much as possible like there are people who benefit from you just facebook scrolling mindlessly it's not your it's not entirely your decision it feels like this is my decision i choose to do it i'm a free agent right there are hundreds of people employed to make sure you do that yeah and that becomes something much more than just individual agency right yeah well it's it's designed to trigger addiction processes (laughs) yeah yeah exactly exactly well You've decided that you would love to, in tandem with the feed, you now will continue to expand your offering through the content that you make through your France, but also you were chatting to me about some narrative fiction that you're writing and, mm. you know, and something autobiographical that you're writing. When you think about the future of Jan Fran, the brand... <laughs> the Jan Fran brand. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. oh, the Jan Fran brand, yeah. Jan Fran brand. Um, mm. what do you, I mean, look, it's just, it's got a bad, the, the notion of personal brands has become a wank because there's just terrible people it's doing horrible, it. It's horrible, isn't it? Like, yeah. I, I just, I can't escape it. As much as I try to escape it, I can't escape it. I also think that, you know, like, if they've enjoyed something you've done before and they're trying to work out, you know, mm. whether they should invest some energy in something you do the next thing, then the fact that there is a brand association... They with, know what you know, they're getting. They know what they're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what... How would that Jan Fran brand expand? <laughs> <laughs> How would the Jan Fran brand expand? Hmm. The where rain to, in Spain. <laughs> where, where to? Where to next? Because I like to think of it. You know, I I want you to be like the thinking woman's Mia Friedman. You know, Ooh. like I want you to like have a network of of tributaries that go across media yeah. that then allows you to look there's things are bubbling beneath the surface that I have to kind of push the button on which I've been thinking about probably for the last few months and I'm like oh how am I going to do this should I do this should I not do this one of them is the narrative fiction um, so I've sort of written a chapter I've always kind of wanted to, to write a bit of a kind of an autobiographical narrative fiction I've always wanted to do this and I was telling you yesterday I think that the thing that drives me the most is like FOMO it's more just like seeing someone else do it and then getting just gels 
just because seeing someone else do what you would otherwise have done. Yeah, and mm. just being like, oh, wait a minute. It's a great motivator. It's a great motivator. Um, and so I think I've seen a fair bit of kind of narrative autobiographical fiction from people who were quite, you know, um, funny and interesting and there's all these kind of like diverse stories. I'm like, oh, that's, that's my space. Um, so I kind of, I kind of want to go down that path. There's a couple of podcast ideas that I've been kind of toying with as well. Because you don't actively make a podcast now, do you? I don't make a podcast, no. But I love podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, and I'm very interested in how in how we can have open and honest political conversations. That's what I'm particularly interested in. So I've been kind of thinking of a couple of different podcast ideas around that space. Um, so between And I kind of just want to... You know, keep doing my kind of commentary stuff. So I, I commentate a fair bit on, you know, um, ABC, I'm on Sky News, you know, kind of talking about issues of the day, which I really enjoy. And I, I enjoy being able to kind of commentate on live live television too. It's pretty, it's, it's a pretty good thrill. It's a good skill set to have because if, if you're good set. at it, you don't really realise how rare it is because yeah. you see there's just a lot of you know, it's necessary, but it's a really hard thing to be able to think on your feet and be entertaining and, you know, have people... And know stuff. And, know, and, and, and have no, something to yeah, talk from. Yeah, yeah, something to talk from. Yeah. Um, so those those kind of things are kind of bubbling away. I'm also going to Eurovision in May. Great. Yeah, I'm the backstage reporter. Fab. <laughs> Wonderful. Which is going to be... It's in Portugal, please. I, oh, heaven. I'm doing the sign of the cross right now because I can't even believe what's going on. I know. Of all the Azerbaijan-esque you could have been stuck in, the fact that it's like Liz- Lisbon's having a moment. Lisbon is having a Madonna momento. lives in Lisbon right now. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, so son plays soccer oh, for yeah, one of the... Oh, yeah, he plays... Yeah. David's playing soccer. Yeah, David Banter. Mm. I know. I read this because Madonna is my hero and idol of all time. Really? Yeah. Are you serious? I love her. Me? You know that she's my everything. Yes, I know that she's yeah. everything and that you danced with her and met her, Dan. Yes. It's not a competition as to who's closer to Madonna. I know, it's but not. I just... To think that there's a certain type of person on this earth who I generally enjoy who realises that she's the symbol of all that is worth aspiring to. Like, I know she's probably not a very nice person, but she just does artistry as life to such a beautiful degree like yeah i i think she just nails it i love to ask people if i was to check in with you in a year's time mm. of all the things that are bubbling under the surface and that you're thinking about and entertaining what's one thing that you would love to just be so far along with that you're like yes i fucking nailed it i've delivered this thing it's done and i'm i'm satisfied that 2018 was a win i think the book and the podcast yeah. Are, they, are they related? No. Okay. No. I think the book and the podcast. If In a year's time, I would like to say that if I'm not finished the book, I'm finished significant chapters of the book. I'm more than halfway. Definitely. With uh, chapter outlines for what's to come? With chapter outlines. Oh, yeah, I've got all the chapter outlines. I'm halfway through the chapters. I'm 70% of the way there, you know. Mm. Um, that's what I'd like in a year's time. Um, I would have liked to have gone and come from Eurovision, you know, inshallah, no plane crashes. Um, and maybe to do another overseas documentary, I'd like to do something like that. I think what's going on in Iran right now, there's, um, a lot of, there's kind of uprisings in Iran, which I'm like, it's scandalous that we haven't heard more about this, but young women are kind of taking off the hijab, waving it around the street, getting arrested for it. There's a kind of a millennial uprising going on there which i think is so interesting i love millennials 
fighting back. I love it. I don't know if I'm going to go to Iran that's like pie in the sky. No, but, just put but, it out there. Yeah, but you know, maybe having done... Maybe you just need to go, not tell anyone you're going, <laughs> take some camera gear and come back and be like, guys, I've got your documentaries. No, I am not going to do that. I'm not going to fuck around in Iran. No, thank you. Um, and, uh, and, and have started the podcast, I think. Beautiful. Do you know what it would be called? The podcast? Yeah. I really want to like you. Right. You heard it here first, Dan. Yeah. Oh, hot take. Yeah. No one can take that idea now because it's out just there. Just register. Just, just, buy, just get the... Copyright. I really want to like you. Mm-hmm. It, will it allow me to get to know people who I would otherwise not like? Great. Beautiful. Yeah. Who you would otherwise not agree with. Mm. Great. Jan, Fran, I'm so glad we did this. I know. Me too. Yes. Fun. Thank you so much. That was so, like, natchy. Let's go listen to some Madonna. Do it. Maybe like a prayer. (gasps) Great.